Well, kinfolk, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Holy God, our guide and our destination, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts and minds be pleasing and acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's been a lot of uh, news recently on social media and elsewhere about this uh, a fellow wrote a country song uh, about being from a small town uh, and he it, it's a I think it's called something like try that in a small town the fellow's name is Jason Aldean I'm a big country music fan I listen to a lot of country music uh, but I only listen to good country music uh, so I'd never heard of Jason Aldean before um, but apparently he has some fans uh, and I, I listened to the song. I thought, I thought it was pretty ridiculous. People are angry about it because it's uh, about as racist a song as they get. And you don't typically hear racist music on the radio anymore, m mostly. Uh, but I guess some producer in Nashville saw an opportunity to make a quick buck and gin up some controversy. And so they wrote this song and had the fella sing it. Now, this, the fella that sang this racist song, he's not from a small town. He, J Jason Aldean's from Macon, Georgia. And it's about 100,000 people live there. It's about the size of Grand Rapids. And so I figured, being charitable, I figured, well, he didn't write the song anyways. I should see who actually wrote the song. The fellow that wrote the song was from Nashville, Tennessee. That's also not a small town. So I thought, well, maybe the person that wrote the music was from a small town. Nope, he's from Birmingham, Alabama. So you got three fellas singing a song about a small town, and none of them are from a small town. Now, I happen to be from a small town. I'm from Alto, Michigan. Population 179. It was population 178, and then I moved back. And now it's back to 170. And then we had three kids, so now we're up to 182 or three. So I'm not with the math, but I'm from a small town. And when I listen to the lyrics of that song, it's all about stuff like, you know, if you come to our town, you know, we're going to beat you up and, and we're going to run you out and, and you, you, you won't get away with anything because we've all got guns and we're going to do this, that, and the other thing to you. Pretty classic uh, sort of sundown town kind of idea you get from the 1930s and 40s. Most ridiculous song I ever heard in my life. When I just read the title, Try That in a Small Town, I thought, well, I might put the lyrics down. Having grown up in a small town, I thought, well, try getting a flat tire in a small town. You're not going to be able to have time enough for the tow truck to arrive because we're going to get you on your way and get you back on the road. Or try going hungry in a small town. Doesn't happen because we got more food than we know what to do with, and we can't abide somebody being hungry, so we're going to feed you. Okay? Try, losing, um, your, try losing your dog in a small town. Won't happen. Dog's going to be back in about 10 minutes. So we know all the dogs, and we know who they belong to. Yep. But no, that wasn't what the song was about, of course. And anybody who grew up in a small town that listens to that song knows it's a bunch of garbage. But the people who really like that song are people who've never lived in a small town and just have this sort of fantasy idea of what living in a small town must be like. The people who are real angry about that song too, a lot of them have never lived in a small town either. And they imagine that we all own guns. Which we do. <laughs> but they're not for shooting people. They're for dispatching woodchucks and uh, red squirrels. My grandma had a passionate hatred of red squirrels. I recount a story when my mother was first visiting that she threw open a window and took a pot shot at a red school squirrel with a 410 shotgun from inside the house. <laughs> yeah, so 
the, the people that wrote this song don't know anything about small towns, and the people that are angry about this song don't know anything about the small towns, and people who love the song don't really seem to know anything about small towns at all. So I think that we should all just go back to listening to Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard. I think that's about when country music was best. Um, and you know, Willie and Merle were about as different as oil and water. One of them was as progressive as you can get, and Merle Haggard would shoot a man for looking at him wrong, and they went on tour together. Right? Poncho and Lefty. They were best friends. Doesn't see stuff like that anymore. The reason I bring this up is because I want to talk today about hospitality. And hospitality is one of those words that when I say it, usually to seminarians or people in churches where I'm doing some consulting work and I try to tell them, you know, they really want to shake the bushes and they want to grow their church and they want to set the world on fire. And I start talking to them about hospitality and they're like, are you kidding? Like, like, like lace doilies and tea parties and that sort of thing. And no, the reality is that hospitality is the most dangerous thing that we're asked to do by God uh, through Jesus Christ. Jesus asks Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water. That's scary. It's terrifying. He's asking Peter to do something that is counterintuitive, that Peter's, now Peter's a, a sailor and a fisherman. He knows you're not supposed to walk on water. Just goes against the natural order of things. But he does it. He ha comes to his senses, right? He starts to, starts to fall into, starts to drown because <laughs> as his common sense comes back. And Jesus says, stop doing that. Stop it. Look at me. Let your faith guide you. And that's what hospitality is like. Hospitality is like stepping out of a boat. You're doing the thing that the whole world tries to tell you not to do. You're welcoming a stranger in. You're making yourself vulnerable. If you come to your senses, you might get scared and start to drown. But if you look at Jesus Christ, you're going to find your way right back to salvation right back to the kingdom of God hospitality means getting out of the boat folks your assumptions about strangers will drown you at one point in my ministry I, I, I created a feeding program a lunch program for folks who were unhoused or housing insecure also for some immigrants who had been coming through our community who didn't speak English it was basically just a, a cafe restaurant type deal where people could come and, and, and eat a good lunch uh, for free, didn't have to pay anything, be treated like a human being, and we had a big movie screen. We'd show movies, and it was quite pleasant. And it was hosted in a big church uh, in a downtown in a big city. And uh, I was from a small town, so I didn't have any problem feeding people lunch. It felt like the most normal thing to do. But these were city folks, and they were, they were a little bit nervous about all of these... Uh, uh, homeless folks coming in to eat in their church and uh, I, I knew I wasn't I wasn't so naive as to not know what was going on in their minds they were deeply concerned about the security of the church there were some very valuable tapestries in that church um, that surely a thief would make off with in the night well I had a stumbling block I had a moment where I thought I was gonna drown like Peter took my eye off the prize it came to me that it had so happened that one of the choir members at this church had left their purse in the choir room and had had $300 in cash stolen out of their purse. So, of course, the pastor of the church, and they all came to me and they said, Nathan, this is a big deal. That's $300. You've got to figure it out. I was heartbroken. 
I assume the same thing they did. One of my guests had snuck off into the church, taken that money. Hmm. I sat down with uh, some of my best friends who were living at the mission. I told them what had happened. God, I interrogated those people. Hmm. Said, I need to get that money back, guys. They're going to shut this whole project down. They asked amongst themselves, and nobody knew anything about anybody had stolen $300. And the following week, we received a phone call at the church office. It was a distraught parent of a teenager. You see, a traveling choir of children had come through that congregation to sing that Sunday. And upon returning home, one of the parents of those children had found $300 in the child's backpack. The child confessed that they'd stolen it out of the choir room on Sunday morning. And they'd returned the money, of course. But my heart was broken. I'd put all of my best beloveds under this intense light of scrutiny because I, just like the members of that church, assumed that it was a homeless person that stole that money. It wasn't. It was a teenager. Hmm. I was disgusted with myself. I went and I apologized to all of them. And almost every single one said, you know what, Nathan, we're used to it. We're used to it. Oh. At another church I served, there was a city, this was in Kalamazoo, and there was a big protest. It's a hard place to sleep rough in Kalamazoo. It's not like Grand Rapids. Kalamazoo doesn't have enough beds or shelters for the unhoused. In that city, you sleep rough, you could die in Kalamazoo. Grand Rapids has conquered this problem to a much greater degree. Kalamazoo has twice as many homeless people as Grand Rapids, despite being one quarter the size. And every time I would say, let's fix this, they'd say, well, no, if we fix it, see, pastor, homeless people from other cities are going to come here and take advantage of it. And I said, you guys are a bunch of walnuts. If any of these people could get to Grand Rapids, they would. It's 40 minutes up the road they'd be taken care of. No one's coming to Kalamazoo to be homeless. This is the worst place in the world to be homeless. Well, the homeless people finally got enough of it. They moved all of their camps. They had encampments around the city. They moved them all right downtown on Bronson Park. About a thousand people sleeping downtown in tents. So we're sick of it. And uh, of course, my congregation, being the wonderful people that they were, we started feeding them. We would take out big banquet tables and set food out and have dinner and help with the trash. We, we, we would take care of the things that other people would ignore. So for example, we'd pay for porta potties. We'd have about a half a dozen porta potties and a portable shower we put out there for people. And uh, I, did, I put it right on uh, the lawn at City Hall. Because I figured, well, they should do something. <laughs> I didn't want the porta potties on the lawn of my church. I told the mayor, you can have them hauled off if you want, but you're going to be in the newspaper tomorrow. But anyway, those people were so wonderful. And little JoJo, she was two, three years old. And every Sunday, she would ask if she could go play with the campers. She called them the campers. She didn't know about homelessness. The little kid doesn't know. Wouldn't have made sense to her if I'd tried to explain it. But I said, sure, of course, go. And there were children, so many children. And that's where Jojo learned how to ride a bicycle. A six-year-old boy, he put her up in front of him and his bicycle, and they would pedal that bicycle all around the park. But one of my parishioners 
saw this taking place and said to me, well, aren't you worried about her? I said, well, yeah, I mean, I'm always worried about her. You know, at that age, there's liable to fall down a sewer drain as anything else. I said, but she's got a lot of good people looking after her. And they said, well, yeah, you know, we love JoJo, but you mean the folks out there? And then I understood what they meant. I said, aren't you afraid of these unhoused people? Quite the contrary. I'm a person who believes that you should put facts over feelings. The fact of the matter is that JoJo was at twice the risk of harm inside the church than she was out with those people. And by that I mean that unhoused people commit violent crimes at less than half the rate of housed people. And in that I mean that a church without safe church and safe sanctuary policies is a haven for the abuse of children. For God's sakes, we've all seen it in the news. No, I actually felt quite comfortable with Josephine out there with that crowd because they knew how to take care of children. They'd been doing it around the clock. They didn't have child care. Likewise, they had dogs. There were lots of dogs out there. All sorts of dogs. And Josephine loves dogs. That's why she wanted to go hang out with the campers, because she loves doggies. They all had dogs. Somebody said, aren't you worried about those dogs? I said, you're out of your tree. Those dogs spend 24 hours a day with their humans. Those dogs would never bite a soul. They sleep in a tent with their owners. Those dogs are inseparable from their owners. Those are the best dogs on the planet Earth. I said, the dog that frightens me has been chained out in a yard in the back of a house in Matawan for 14 hours a day. Has no human companionship. That's the dog that's going to bite your kid. Not the dog that is the helping companion of some poor homeless family. Those are the best dogs in the world. But we can't quite see it because of the unique nature of poverty in America, and because of our relationship with capitalism, we believe that homelessness is somehow a character flaw rather than a crime against humanity, which is what it is. And it's not that I don't walk out onto that water and see my daughter playing with a 160-pound pit bull named Snowflake and I don't start to slip down into those waves and say, Jesus, help me. That dog's going to eat my kid. <laughs> my faith falters. And then I look at the owner, the gentleman who's lived with that dog for 10 years. I can gain my footing because I see the face of Jesus Christ in his face. And I remember the truth which is that our hospitality is the only way that they'll know we're Christians. We've got to get out of the boat. The church is a boat. We call it the nave. It has the same word as navy. Some Christians believe that we worship in these sorts of spaces because they look like upside-down boats, and maybe the early Christians worshipped underneath upside-down boats, and that's why we build our churches this way. I don't know. I know that the... Boat is a good metaphor for the church. It jives with the Gospels. Jesus spends a lot of time in boats. Our faith isn't tested in the boat. It's when we step out onto the water. A lot of boats, and by boats I mean churches, aren't even sailing out into the water these days. They're in the harbor. And a boat is safe in harbor. Right? But that's not what boats are built for. No, our boat is 
definitely out on the water. It's our task to step out of the boat. Well, pastor, we want to walk on water, but we're worried about liability. This is a litigious age. What if somebody gets hurt? We don't want to get sued. Uh, the only person that you should talk to that sort of thing about with is the person who is on the hook for the bill. By that, I mean your insurance agent. I went to my insurance agent when we wanted to bring Auntie Sahita into the church. Because I had, as soon as I said, this woman's going to move into our building, she's going to live here. I had every Tom, Dick, and Harry crawl out of the weeds and say, well, we're, we, our insurance will not cover that. This is not a residential space. P Pastor, we, we, we don't have, I'm sure there's fire code, whatever. And I went to the insurance, I said, can it? I'm going to talk to the fellow who has to sign the checks. I went to the insurance guy. And he said, well, you're going to have a woman live in your church? I said, yep. What's our liability? He said, I'm going to give you a discount. So that's the best news I've heard in ages. I said, say more. He said, well, now you've got a security guard in your building that's going to tell you as soon as there's a fire or a water line break or as soon as there's a leak or something goes wrong. He's like, you're going to save so much money having her live there? And I said, well, isn't there fire code issues? He said, absolutely not. I said, has your church ever hosted a youth group or a lock-in? Has your church ever had kids spend the night in there or missionaries come through and camp out? I said, yeah, all the time. He said, well, there you go. Just tell the fire chief she's a missionary on extended stay. <laughs> I said, all right, you got it. But that's the thing, our fear, the common sense. Peter saying, oh my God, I'm walking on water, Lord. We slip, we stumble, we start to drown. We lose sight of our Savior. Paul says it so well in Romans. He says it again and again. You can't make differentiations between people. There's no Jew or Greek in Jesus Christ. You can't pretend that you know these people's intent. We're one. We're one in the Lord. Show hospitality to strangers. Would that I could just take the doors off the hinges. Wouldn't be so pleasant in the winter, I suppose. Hospitality means getting out of the boat. Getting out of the boat. Well... You and me, we've got a lot of time together. And we've got a lot of time ahead of us. Our ship is ready. We're in good shape. I'm going to be asking you to do some things that seem a little radical. And they're not the sorts of missions and ministries that a lot of other churches are doing. But I don't really care over much about what other churches are doing. I don't particularly think that that's the standard we need to hold ourselves to. I think, um, well, I think we've got a better standard. One that's been watertight for 2,000 years. And I think that we'll find, when we step out of the boat and start to walk on water together, there will be moments when we get scared. $300 goes missing. Or Somebody shows up with a 180-pound pit bull named Snowball. There'll be moments when we stumble and we worry about our hospitality practices. Are we being as innocent as doves and wise as vipers? I don't know. But I do know that in every single setting where I have been accompanied to Christians who have chosen the practice of hospitality over and above their fear of strangers, they've seen miracles. And I know that 
those congregations that make that choice, they see the kingdom of God Sunday after Sunday. They don't want to miss a Sunday. They show up. That's the promise. And then what happens? Well, everyone on the boat turns and says to Jesus Christ, truly, you are the Son of God. Well, that's what I want for us. That's all I want for us, is to give God our praise. And to do that, we're going to have to be a little bit different from the other churches. But that's okay. We've been doing it for 180 years. We were founded by people who knew that hospitality was the most critical practice to a life for the ages. Nothing has changed, beloved in God. Nothing has changed. So, if you're willing, this year, together, we're going to spend a little bit of time walking on water. Okay? Amen? Amen.